It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Scano Sego and Ibojo, Kwekwe, Tansi, and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, don't forget, you can also, also download that Radio Player Canada app and then type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7. And you could be listening on your device of choice anywhere across the country, seven days a week, 24 hours hours a day. So check us out, please. And don't forget to also, uh, if you miss one of our interviews, uh, we do put them up on SoundCloud and on our website at elmntfm.ca. All right. I want to welcome my first guest of the show today, somebody I've known for quite a while. And uh, it's great to have him in the studio. You've heard his music here on Element FM. Jace Martin is with me here All in the right. studio. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, David. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here, Jace. It's been a while. I know we've been trying to to figure something out so we can get together and do this. Yeah, it's good. It's good um, that we're busy, you know. Mm. So um, when I come here, I'm excited and I got lots of things to talk about. So that's the plus side of it. <laughs> it is a plus side. I'm glad to hear you got lots yeah. to talk about. And uh, New Year to you, by the Thank way. Thank you. Yeah, Brand exactly. New... Happy New Year. Yeah, it's uh, 2020 and... is like. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? So, yeah. So 2020, you said uh, you got lots of things going on. Mm-hmm. What's happening with you in terms of uh, new stuff that's going on coming up in the near future? Oh man, we are so busy. Busy. The Darren Ross Agency is about to celebrate its fifth anniversary. This is our f- fifth year, which I can't believe. Mm. I mean, uh, I was on the road in Nashville for so long, and I got to um, tour manage with Crystal Shawanda back in 2009, 10, and all that, and learn... Um, the inside inner workings of the music business from like deep inside, you know, like when we were around Sony records and all like the heads of industry, you know, and, um, it was so nice to bring that knowledge back to six nations to start Darren Ross agency and to kind of just use it to, uh, like unite, um, indigenous artists, Mm. um, in the five years. I mean, we started, Darren Ross agency with just me mm. <laughs> as the only artist on the label, right? So it's it's kind of like, oh, it's not really a label; it's just you, right? <laughs> and I heard that from a few artists, but they didn't get the like the big the big vision, right? The right. big vision was for me to always um, have an indigenous owned and operated uh, base uh, that indigenous artists could come. Um, that they know that we could, um, we would focus on them and, and not put them to the side for the new, fresh, hot artists that's coming out like record labels do, you know, and then they kind of like uh, put other people's projects on the back burner and stuff. So I've I've always wanted to just focus on each artist, uh, what their what their goals are. So in the in that in that time, um, in the last five years, we've um, we've grown so much. Um, I think we have eleven or twelve artists now. Uh, Crystal Shawanda, Eric Miller, Shane Yellowbird, Stevie mm-hmm. Salas, Murray Porter, um, the big ones, right? Yeah. And then a lot of emerging artists like uh, Missy Knott and Mimi Obasawin and Leah Bell and uh, a new artist, James Wilson, who's from Six Nations, and he's doing spectacularly right now. And, of course, we did an interview with James. Yes, and, of course. And uh, it was great to have him in. We were trying to get you and him yeah, out, yeah, and on the, the same, same day. Time. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up uh, the Darren Ross Agency. Yeah. I wanted to get to that a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, Jace Martin. Yeah. But now that you've brought up the agency, I think it does speak well to the Jace Martin I know, right. that I've gotten to know over time. And what I mean by that is that... You are an artist yourself, yeah. but you put other people ahead of yourself as well. You, yeah. you look out not only for yourself, but for other people. And I think that speaks to who you are as a person. Yeah, I think um, 
I've, I've been learning that. I've learned that, you know, like um, the early uh, earlier in my career, it was really um, inverted. Like my focus was like, Jace, you got to do this and your name's got to be there and your name's got to grow and you got to get those awards and stuff. Then as I grow older and I get to see my mentors and get to see um, these young artists struggling like I did 20 years ago when I started 25 mm-hmm. years ago. And it just kind of something just kind of clicked in me and said, you know, like it's a little more important that we um, move these young artists like further along so that mm. every indigenous artist doesn't have to start at 10 or 11 and go through 25 years of learning because no one's sharing and mm. no one's opening doors and no one's presenting those kind of opportunities. And um, as an artist on the other side of that, that's hard to do because what you do is essentially is what you said. You take time off your work to focus on other people and it. And it's something that I feel is crucial um, because, and what I found is that it didn't really halt my mm-hmm. career path so much. It actually helped it because mm-hmm. um, it's actually offering me more opportunities to teach. I'm getting flown around to speak as mentors, and uh, it's just like open up new things. So for me, um, it, it, it was a win-win, you know. I get to work with artists uh, who I believe in and trust, and they're young, and uh, it's just such a inspiring thing to do that. You know, the other thing about uh, about that agency and what you're doing there is, is it's not a bad business move. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a business and, for sure, and you're representing people. Now, the other cool thing is you're mentioning mentioning young artists, but yeah. come on, Derek Miller, Murray Porter, come totally. on, these guys are you know Stevie. They, these are seasoned professionals. They're, they're heavy, and that, that was been always the goal. Is um, as a when I worked with Crystal Shawando in 2009 as her tour manager, and then I, in 2010 she hired me um, to start doing bookings and stuff for her, which was huge because this was at the pinnacle of her career right when she really blew up with that song we can let go and it was like number 16 on the billboard charts mm-hmm. across the world and so she was really in demand and um so it was really nice for me to be there to mm-hmm. see what goes on in the inner workings of that kind of stuff so um yeah that's just exciting so that's great i'm glad as you said and and uh, if people want now that we've talked about the agency yep. if people want to get a hold uh, of you if they're an emerging artist yep. and they're going hey man i'd like to check this out totally. uh they can get a hold of you online where do they where do they get a hold of you what yeah you can you uh, go to our website darrenrossagency.com or you can just uh email darrenrossagency at gmail.com yeah yeah get great. a hold of me pretty easy yeah cool mm-hmm. um and so, uh, having having said that, uh, let's let's focus back a little bit uh, on Jace Martin, the artist. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, you know, we're playing at least two of the two of the songs. I know they're in kind of fairly heavy rotation here at Element FM. Uh, Ghost, and of course, Free to Fly. We awesome. hear those songs all the time. Yeah, Free to Fly changed my life. Oh man, I mean, um, Free to Fly, I put out in 2015 16 mm. and uh we actually it hit the billboard charts usa billboard chart top 40 and it debuted with a bullet mm. which is um a little bit different um it, that means it didn't climb the charts um it debuted right in the top 40 hit number debuted number 35 um which is exceptional mm. because when it says debuted with a bullet that kind of means that it was destined to be there like you mm planned it mm. like you target and yeah. just like you're playing darts right right you target for it boom and you hit the bullseye so we hit the bullseye with that song <laughs> for the first time in my career and um it's literally launched me from an indie artist where i was just you you remember i was yeah. just playing any show i could get on my acoustic guitar <laughs> right. you know for you know tips and mm. you know whatever that is and 
And then that, when that song hit the Billboard charts, everything just took off. You know, I'm headlining festivals. I'm in studios with some of the biggest producers in the world, and I'm getting marketed across the world on uh, major platforms, and um, I'm getting major, um, like I'm talking major, not just indigenous things, major right. magazines, sure. major festivals, and and sometimes it was a little weird because I think um, the way the the marketing is. Um, they don't really even know I'm indigenous because they hear free to fly and they see the success. They hire me, they bring me in and people are like, whoa, you know, you're like Mohawk. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think it's kind of cool that um, I'm an indigenous artist that's out there really trying to um, be a part of like that special histor- history of music. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like the legends that mm-hmm. I grew up with, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens. And I want to be a part of that core uh, musical history. So that's kind of what drives me. Mm, that's great, um, and, and of course, uh, "Ghost" was another was another song we were playing a lot. Yeah, "Ghost" was um, uh, a building off of "Free to Fly." Just that energy, like I've just tried to establish um, a voice, like a sound. Like when you hear Jace Martin, you know, mm. when you hear Maroon Five, you know it's Adam Levine, and mm. and so I've really I'm really um, conscious about these kinds of things when I write and when I record. And so, uh, "Ghost" is just building on that energy that um, "Free to Fly," which is basically. Um, just, I'm just so um, aware uh, of the our surroundings in this world right now, where there's a a lot of negative things going on, a lot of darkness, um, a lot of like selfishness, a lot of things going on in this world right now that are just hard to explain. So my music has always been like a try to be a counter to that. Like I don't want to add fuel to the fire. Basically, I'm basically just trying to um, keep that light. In everyone, like I want to make sure that everyone just remembers that light, and from that is strength and courage and hope and motivation to continue. And so that's kind of what I'm pushing more so than anything. Um, like I love the music, but I love the fact that I can uh, help people like go another day because that one day might be what you know changes your life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jace, let's let's if you don't mind, um, people may not know enough about about Jace Martin in the early days. Yeah, you know where you started, how you started. <laughs> you started out on Six Nations, totally. And uh, I think you started out early days. There was you were involved with a play or some yep. kind of theater thing that kind of launched. Yeah, you. I mean, uh, I, I grew up on uh, Six Nations Reserve, um, where there was a lot of sports, a lot of emphasis on sports. I'm actually from a very famous sports family. Uh, my grandfather was Ross Paulus, who's mm-hmm. known as the Wayne Gretzky of lacrosse mm-hmm. and my uncle uh, Gaylord Paulus and they're both in the uh, uh, lacrosse hall of fame and yeah. really celebrated around the world so I this is the kind of stuff I grew up around you know like that, that kind of um, just sports orientated things but when I was really young literally five six years old I would be stealing my mom's uh, cassette tapes and back then they had two little holes on the top right where you could fill with Kleenex and you could record over them and once I figured that out I was over because I would just sit in my room with a little tape recorder and I'd listen to the radio all day long and I would find songs that had big um, intros big outros big solos without voice and I would record those parts and then I would write over those big uh. so that was basically using other people's <laughs> instrumentals to kind of start fostering my right. artist yeah, yeah. artistry right and then my mom realized that she realized there's nothing on the reserve really that was like honing those kind of skills or mm. doing anything for music and arts at the time so she found a production in toronto um thank god um which was directed and written by salome bay who's 
widely known as Canada's Queen of Jazz, mm. and she was oh, she was so amazing. I got to meet her. I got to audition for her uh, when I was 11, and so I did the play in Toronto when I was like 12, 13, 14, and 15. I was out there for four summers. Like I'd come back home for school, but mm. then soon school was out. I'd move to Toronto and I'd mm. stay out there right till September until mm-hmm. school started again. And uh, I would live with Salome because my mom couldn't drive me back and forth to rehearsals. And she eventually told Salome once, you know, like, I got to take Jace out, right? Because I can't afford it, right? Mm. And then Salome's like, you can't take Jace out. He's got something special, you know, he's got to be here. And she said, that's it. He's staying with me, right? Which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that play had 40, 50 kids. And for some reason, she just like, kind of like um i don't know what it was she just kind of seen something in me and pulled me with her and i just remember every day we'd get up we'd be singing we'd be doing melodies she would say jay sit here on the on the piano and the grand piano and we'd play and harmonize and and just talk about music it was just such a beautiful thing to grow up into you know coming from the reserve and then Mm -hmm. going there and adding those different um those experiences so uh, yeah, I did that. I got to meet so many great people like uh, Jeff Healy and DJ um, Jazzy Jeff. And uh, I watched Salome do so many uh, performances like at Ontario Place and all these prestigious events for like um, like prestigious people, you know. And uh, so it was really good to see that and and also to see somebody so talented but so humble and so loving and so caring like to lift up and that that's partly where i got it from like now what i'm doing with the young artists and stuff is kind of like full circle for me and i always tell the artists i'm working with like james and leah is like i'm not i'm not doing this like i'm i like to see something in you just like salome did in me and so i work with them and work with them and i tell them all the time like you're going to spot somebody when you're older or when you're in a position to and i said i hope that you'll extend your hand too instead of you know say you figure it out on your own type thing so yeah it was just a beautiful thing to come up with i mean that play that i first started out with uh lost the careers of uh uh, Deborah Cox, who's Grammy mm. winner, mm. Um, Oren Isaacs, who's like a, one of the biggest music producers in the world, um, Sate, who's like one of the biggest rock. She was actually Slomi's daughter. She's one mm. of the big biggest rock artists in Canada mm. right now. So like, so many great talents have come out of that, and I'm just proud to be part of that. Yeah, cool. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Now you come back to Six Nations, and do you get involved? Because I know you're, you're musical. Your family's musical. Yeah. And you guys had had the band, the Wolfpack. Totally. Right? Uh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, uh, while I was in Toronto. My brothers were still playing and rehearsing here with all the old blues, country tracks, Stevie Ray Vaughan tracks. And we were basically just a big cover band, right? And um, so I came back and I integrated my R&B style into their blues style. You know, I start singing like La Bamba and Richie Valens and stuff like that. And the popularity of our band just grew because, for one, we were all brothers, and which is very marketable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were all like from... 11 to 19 to 19 so it was mm. that young exciting age right and um we were named uh our one of our we released our first album as a brother band with original material in uh 2003 i believe and uh it was named um the 13th best blues album released by the toronto blues society that mm. year which was crazy uh and we won um canadian aboriginal music awards three years in a row and uh so yeah we were pretty um we were pretty popular back then and, and uh it really helped fuel that passion for music and not mm. only fuel it but like 
uh, validate it, mm. you know, that people want it. So then that's part of the thing in music is that sometimes it's not all about you. It's about the audience, too. So I, I've been trying to balance that in my career since those times when I noticed, you know what, I, I love one thing, but... You know, there's a there's two parts to it. You know, right. <laughs> um, I just want to jump in and let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, and uh, I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Jace Martin. It's a pleasure to have him in the studio. I've known him a while, seen him around <laughs> Six Nations a lot, and uh, uh, and been trying to get him in here for a while. Now, Jace, um, the other thing, and you know, if you if you you know, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but there was some some tragedy tragedy in your family as well. Um, well, yeah, uh, the main, um, one of the main reasons why we started the band, the Wolfpack was my eldest brother, Darren. Uh, he was a amazing track star. I mean, he's got still records that hang around Ontario. Uh, he was in the preliminary trials for the Olympics back in the day out of York university. He was just this driven, passionate, athletic, you know, we come from the Paulist family, right? Mm -hmm. So he was trying to, um, carry on that sports thing and he was the next great Paulus right and then he just realized that that life wasn't for him and he wanted music and uh, people couldn't understand that in our family so he was a big driving force into getting us to learn things we were all self-taught musicians right like he taught himself how to play guitar he taught my brothers how to play guitar, how to do the bass, and my brother Chad taught himself how to play drums because we needed a drummer and I would, my brother Troy actually learned how to play keyboard because we, we just wanted to add something for him. And I just started singing, right? And um, so my brother Darren was a main driving force, and he was our main teacher for all those years in the Wolfpack, um, how to command an audience, how to perform night in and night out, whether it's a full house or if there's only one person. Like, I learned so many key, key things from him. And unfortunately, um, he passed away at a very young age, 38, Um he was our, like, I always use it like a sports analogy, you know, like on, on ice you have your captain, right? He was literally the captain of our family, of our band, and uh, to lose somebody that important, it kind of makes you stand on your own two feet, and it also helps you realize um, that we don't have, we no one knows how much time we have on this mm -hmm. earth, so it really kind of shook me to my core to say look at jace like we, we can see this as um devastating as going against all you believe and um rock my faith type thing or we can use it and say look at this is everything that darren's done for us like his time has come but it's now our time to carry that you know and and to use it um to just grow and i, I know that he would be really proud of where i am right now because the rest of my brothers they're not really they're not playing music anymore and that that kind of thing can can kill your spirit, you know, for music and stuff. And uh, I know my brothers have moved on, and um, and I just kept going. I just said, I just said, I, I have to keep going. So in two thousand and um, in eight, I was working a little wee minimum wage job, um, making ten bucks, eleven bucks an hour, and I worked my ass off, you know, for years to save up um, ten grand. And I did my first solo album. Uh, just called Jace Martin at Grant Ave Studios in mm -hmm. Hamilton there, mm -hmm. and uh, from there just that just kind of just proved to me that you can do it. You know, you can keep going, and it it got nominated for like fourteen different awards all over Canada and the USA, and uh, it's just like it's amazing. Just like mm -hmm. what a little bit of faith and a little bit of hard work, and um, 
So that really helped uh, spur where I am now. And I don't know if I would be this far without that kick in the butt, you know, that it mm-hmm. took. And I feel like my brother's with me on stage. I feel like he's with me in the studio. I can feel him, you know, when, when he's around, you know. Mm. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I think it, it it also reflects, as you say, into to who you have, you have become as a person. Yeah, one hundred percent. And um, uh, it, it sort of uh, it gives gives fills out the Jace Martin. Now, the other thing that you do, and you've done for a number of years, and it shows again that that personality that I recognize in you, um, is that you have done that concert for Cure for quite a while. Yes, I did. Oh man, that was my biggest biggest passion. Um, I've had a couple big passions in my <laughs> life. I'm a big dreamer, mm. and nothing in my family has ever told me that I can't dream big. And mm. because look at, I got to watch my grandpa and my uncles, and and everything that I've really dreamed for has, I'm proud to say, <laughs> I'm actually achieved, or they're bigger than I could ever imagine mm. when I was growing up. Like I never imagined I'd be on the Billboard charts. Right. Never, yeah. never, 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 never. Um, and. For me, like the, all the things that are the, the concert was like I, when I was growing up. Like, why don't we have this festival? We have so many great artists, like Derek and Robbie, and all these great artists that we could bring in. And that was the whole concept. And uh, so we ran the concert for a cure. It ran for ten years, and over that time, we I, I'm proud to say that we brought um, almost every artist that I wanted to to Six Nations because I feel like we should be leading in all the categories including music festivals and stuff because we're one of the biggest most progressive one of the richest <laughs> you know reserves mm-hmm. in Canada mm-hmm. so I just felt like you know we brought Crystal here and you know we brought everyone that we wanted including um, Grammy winner Johnny Lang mm. which I, I feel is probably one of the biggest artists to ever come on any reserve you know and uh he was really happy to be here we bought the trues um we showcased headlining art like uh shane yellowbird and Derek and murray and stevie and we had all these guys in their moment headlining shining mm-hmm. on six nations which was like such a dream come true and from when the first time we started that in 2008 there was no festivals around us mm-hmm. and then by the time it concluded 10 years later. There's a festival in Waterford and Brantford and Hamilton. They're just huge around us now. So I felt like instead of me being sad that it's over right now, I'm I'm very extremely proud that it's not over because it's picked up all around us with these massive festivals. So the next thing for me is to um, – one of my next missions in life is to – Make people aware of all these festivals in Canada, North America. Make them aware um, that they're on Indigenous land. Mm. And a lot of these festivals, their money is directly from the government. Mm. And the government of Canada, like, you know, funds these festivals. So what I want to try to propose in the new year, and I know I have support from some artists that I work with already, um, we want to petition the government to say, look, it, we're giving these funds for these festivals. Um, there should be a, at least a certain percentage going to contemporary and um, traditional mm. indigenous artists. Mm. Because how are you going to give a million dollars to a festival and they bring in all American artists right. and that money is from Canada on indigenous land? And I, it's for me, it's kind of like it's um, logical, but... On the other end of it, I know it's not logical because it's not the way people usually use their mind. They say, mm-hmm. like, let's bring in the big hits right. and the people who are going to bring the fans. But we also have to remember where we are. And um, so that's just something that I want to be starting to make people aware of in the future. Is just let's think about that more and let's add more indigenous content, contemporary and traditional. Yeah. 
Good mm-hmm. point. Good point. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. That sounds thank great. you. And if we can help, let yeah. us know. We'll <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> uh, 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 Jace, the other thing, though, about the Concert for a Cure, it, yep. it was a way of giving back. You, totally. you helped people with that as well. You want to explain? Oh, yeah. Because maybe some people don't know what that was. Yeah, for. totally. Uh, we would do things. Um, in the first few years, we actually would raise money in any overflow. We would give, like, to Miles to Go Cancer Group or um, certain organizations around Six Nations. But then it became more about um, getting as many emerging artists as we could who've never played a big festival and for me i think that was one of the hugest things is that they got to come to a big festival with a big backstage massive stage you know and they got to hang out with these stars johnny lang and the trues people that they seen thriving Mm. and they're right there with them Mm. in the backstage with them they're on stage with them they're like for me those opportunities would not be possible if we weren't doing that that show and from that show we have people that can say they open up for Johnny Lang they open up for the Trues they open up for the Fabulous Thunderbirds they perform with Carl Wolf like it just goes on and on the power of it and from that um, I'd love to tell another story that that ties into because from the day we started that in 2008 I've been reaching out to uh, Robbie Robertson who is Mm. from Six Nations and I've grown up and I've always said why does Six Nations not celebrate Robbie? Why has Robbie never been here in my lifetime? Mm-hmm. And I could never understand it. I never, never understood it. So when we started the concert, I started reaching out, Robbie, we need you to come. We love you. We want you to come here. We, like, we, we're so proud that you're from here. You have mm-hmm. heritage from here. And uh, we just want to just like dote on you. You don't have to perform. Just come. Right. Just come. And every year it was no, no, no. Just blatant no, no, no. Right. Like didn't get explanations, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, a few years ago, um, before the last concert for a cure, his son reached out to me, mm. Sebastian. Mm. And he said, Jace, he goes, we love you. Um, I've been talking to my dad. We love you so much. And you reach out to us so much. And we want to help you. And and he just basically told me why Robbie hasn't been here. And that's mm. what I've been wanting to know my whole life. Mm. And Robbie has always had his identity in question Mm. because his mother lost her status card when she married Mm. um, non-native and so and in turn and that was the old the old rules right and he Mm -hmm. lost his status too Mm -hmm. so in his mind he was stripped of his identity Mm. and so he kind of just moved on without Mm -hmm. six nations Mm -hmm. and which you can understand right Mm. i mean they strip your mom they strip you so like you kind of like feel and uh for him to open up and tell me that was all I needed to say. Listen, let me write. Let me write this wrong because in 1987 they gave everyone status back, right? Yeah, and um, they didn't know that. Mm. And so I worked tirelessly with Sebastian to and Robbie to get their information, family information, all this stuff where they lived. And I worked tirelessly with uh, Ava Hill, who was the chief yeah. at the time, yeah. and the uh, the membership uh, lady. I can't remember her name right now. I wish I could. Uh, if she's listening, I'm sorry. Uh, but she worked so hard, too. She was in yep. charge of membership at mm-hmm. uh, Six Nations Council. And we worked we worked for probably about a year and to get all the paperwork and everything in, 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 uh, in order. And um, once we got that paperwork in order, uh, we, we actually got to bring Robbie Robertson to the reserve. And we had a, a massive... Um, celebration at the gathering place where we honored him with a lifetime achievement award. Yep. Six Nations has never done that yep. in the history of yep. Six Nations. Yep. It was the first lifetime achievement award given out to Robbie Robertson, and he was here, got to open up for him, 
host him. He signed my guitar. It's like this massive thing that I never, ever, ever would have thought in a million years you could make possible. And so now I have this great um, relationship with Robbie. I just talked to him yesterday. Um, I pitched some ideas for him to work on music. Of course, he says no because he's this big rock star. <laughs> but to have that relationship with mm. someone who's uh, it's really historic. Mm. And uh, he, he tells me now, like, he, he just wants to come and visit now. And he was here. He visited his old homestead mm. and the family that didn't even know they were related to Robert Robertson. They got to get like an impromptu jam session mm. with him there on Second Line, where he's from, his family's from. So it's like this kind of stuff is when I when I'm not here anymore on this earth. This stuff's gonna be here. This this history of music, and that's kind of like what I am. I'm, I love the history of music. So if anyone who's like me is like a history nerd, this is one of those things that I feel is like really historic. You know, mm. for Six Nations. So now you're talking about Robbie Robertson. Yeah. I got <laughs> to tell you my yeah. little story. So oh, great. I met Robbie uh, a couple of times briefly over yeah. the years uh, through the radio station when I worked here. And uh, and the other thing that was really surprising to me, and, and this is so cool because it explains a lot. When you said second line, yeah. you're talking about the mics? Yeah. So Robbie <laughs> tells me we might be related. Wow. Because I'm related to the mics. Wow, that's so cool. It is, eh? Right? Wow. So, so that's like, I couldn't believe it. That is that. awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, that must have been the same feeling that, that their family yeah. had too, yeah. right? To Oh my God, it's Robbie Robertson, <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All those beautiful songs that yeah. we, we know and love, not just indigenous people, the world knows and loves. Yeah. Amazing. And, and that's so cool because now that explains a lot to me about why when he's discovering his family tree yeah. and all that relationship stuff would have been uh, new to him. Yep. And so that's that's really cool. Isn't Just that cool? Thanks for sharing that story. <laughs> and, he, and he's got his status card now. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, fabulous. Which is crazy. <laughs> and one of the jokes he made as soon as he got it was like, imagine how much I'm going to save at Walmart. He said... <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Yes. I hope Robbie's okay with that. Yeah, oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, listen, let's get back to uh, to the future a little bit because, you know, we, we talked about uh, some of the artists that you are bringing up and some yep. of those artists, including uh, James Wilson. Yep. Uh, as I mentioned, we had him on the show. And uh, also Lee Bell, I believe. Yep, Leah you're, Bell. You're, you're, Lee Bell. Yeah. You're, uh, you're sort of mentoring her. Yeah. So what's going on with those two artists? I've been mentoring and working with Leah, who's a wonderful female artist from Sudbury. I met her when she was 11. She's now 17. Mm. I'm working with her for six years. And when I'm talking about, like, vocal coaches and Mm. performance coaches and um, sitting with producers, fine-tuning her ear, having her in their studio, um, and now what that's done is kind of created this... um, She's writing her her own. She's she bought mm. a guitar and she's writing at a level that's higher. Pretty much getting close to where I'm at nowadays. Mm. She's just accelerating so fast because she's been around that information that mm-hmm. I've got and I got to share with her. Um, she released her first album when she was 13. Uh, and her single was called "Time for Some Country." I'm not sure Element plays it or not. I'd love to send it to you. Yeah, please. But um, that song was the number one, our number five most downloaded. Um, song amongst all major country radio stations in Canada when it was released, which is crazy. She was up there with Megan Patrick, John Party, Leah Bell, oh, an unknown great. 13-year-old <laughs> Métis singer from Sudbury, <laughs> produced by the Darren Ross Agency. Right. It was a major 
Um, that was her first song ever. Imagine mm. your first song ever doing that. Mm. So she was only 13. She's 17 now, and uh, we're working on her new album. And she's so close. The reason why I signed her in the first place is I seen her at a, a talent contest in Sudbury. I was one of the judges. And she was going up against, she was only 11, going up against all these heavyweight singers who have been singing forever. And her voice, dude, like it wasn't there, there, mm. but the the notes and the octave she could hit was like Carrie Underwood stuff. Mm. Um, that only a handful of singers in the whole world can hit those kind of big notes, right? And I seen her doing it at 11, and I just said, you know what, if I can develop that, she's going to be, and that's my goal for her, is I want her to be like a Shania Twain, a Terry Clark, um, a Megan Patrick, but not an indigenous artist i want her to be an artist you sure, know like sure. um and i think she can get there so that's why we've been working so hard with her and, it, and her new album should be out by um october uh of this year and james wilson who's another amazing he's a pop artist in the kind of similar to like sean mendes type thing and um Right now, we just released his debut album, the first music he's ever released to the world, and his song "City Lights" um, is actually playing all over um, Canadian radio, major radio right now, Sirius, and uh, he's doing really well. Uh, and so we, we're waiting for the the Juno nominations to, to be announced because right. we got him in for a few categories. So we're crossing our fingers that um, James um, can get that kind of success too. So we're, we're working really hard with these young guys and trying to make sure that they're set up to, to have success. That's great, Jason. Mm-hmm. And wonderful here about all this stuff that you're doing. Uh, anything coming up musically for yourself? Are you working on anything oh, new? Oh, totally. I am writing. Yeah. I'm writing, writing, writing. And like I said, when I'm working with these artists the past few years, I also had the opportunity to build my forever home I, I i've n- never ever thought i'd be owning a house because i was always renting and i was always didn't worry about that aspect because i just want to make music make music mm-hmm. but um, music has actually provided me the opportunity to build my own house I, it's crazy music's given me <laughs> actually everything six seven years ago before free to fly i was minimum wage no mm-hmm. savings mm-hmm. debt up to the wazoo mm-hmm. and six seven years later i've I can't believe the turnaround from one song, from mm-hmm. all that faith, from all that hard work. And um, so now just like it's for me, I know that in my heart now. So I can teach it. I can. Mm-hmm. And so it's so exciting. I'm actually going to um, uh, Winnipeg again in February. Um, they keep bringing me out mm-hmm. um, to mentor indigenous, our new indigenous artists. Uh, it's exciting to teach them about the business of it because artists are just want to be artists and i tell my artists all the time i want you to just be artists create 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 anything that bothers you on the technical or business side leave that to me let me mm. worry about that you don't worry about that and that goes for Derek, crystal they can all call me and say jace take care of this mike can take care of it. you know mm. like that kind of stuff is it's easy for me and um so in the midst of that i kind of neglect my own music and things um but now i'm really as soon as the 2020 hit mm. i just woke up um january 4th the first business day of this year and i started writing again and i I've, I've been writing a little bit here and there but i'm putting everything together and um probably in march i'm probably going to start recording my new album and ghost was the first single off that album so right. it's um i released ghost i ready to give people an idea what mm-hmm. uh, the album is going to be about but it's really going to be a give back for me to Salome Bay. It's really mm. going to be a full circle album for me. And um, I'm going to use that album to 
be like an ode to Rainbow World. I think the album is going to be called Rainbow World, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, because I wrote a song called Rainbow World mm-hmm. that is uh, basically a loving ode to one of my first mentors, Salome Bay. Right. Yeah, so. Cool. <laughs> that sounds great, Jace. Yes. Can't wait to hear that, and we're always excited to uh, you know pick up your new material yeah. so we can play it. <laughs> and uh, congratulations on all fronts. Yeah, thank you. And all the best <laughs> in the future, of course. Appreciate it. And we appreciate you taking the time to come in and, and speak with us. It's always great to uh, touch course. base with you, man. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Anytime you call, I'm going to try and make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Now we'll go to Jace for coming in and uh, yep. taking the time to do that with us today. But don't go away. We're going to be right back on Moment of Truth and Element FM. Stay tuned. I'm your host, David Moses, and you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa and 106.5 in Toronto. I would like to welcome my uh, guest to the show today. And it's someone that might be familiar to you. He has been uh, around with the uh, Aboriginal People's Television Network for some time. In fact, uh, uh, he he and I sort of started around the same time. Todd started at the Aboriginal People's Television Network in 2000. Uh, and uh, Todd, you, were you in Ottawa at the time? I can't remember if you were based out of Ottawa at that time. Oh, goodness, no. Uh, David, I was... Uh I was hired in Winnipeg. Mm. Um, I remember the date, July 31st, 2000. So you got the year right, of course. <laughs> and uh, I was there a little bit, and I was sent out to Vancouver. Mm. I was there for nearly four years, came back to Winnipeg. Uh, at least I don't know how many years I was there, 12, 13 years. Mm. And now I shipped out to Ottawa. Yeah, and, and, and of course... He needed to get rid of me, <laughs> and uh, here I am. <laughs> and of course, you're doing a, a great job as the host of Nation to Nation, so congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, listen, we, we've established the, the sort of time frame uh, that you've been uh, been working with APTN, and you've, as you said, you've done some traveling. You started in Winnipeg, went out to the West Coast, uh, came back to the Ottawa region, and you have uh, done a number of things, Todd, as, as you uh, mentioned there. Uh, as a video journalist, uh, the, the APTN uh, news anchor, as well. Um, so uh, now you're into this, uh, you, you worked also as the host for investigations. Um, how, how have you seen the network expand and change, uh, having said those things? And, and where do you see APTN now? We're starting a new, of course, a brand new decade. And uh, you've got a brand new uh, 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 chief in charge there because uh, Jean, Laurent, Jean LaRose has, of course, uh, stepped down and moved on. Well, uh, thank you for that uh, preamble, David. Uh, of course, this is the part where I say, well, yeah, I really feel old. Because <laughs> uh, it's hard to believe 20 years has passed. It's mm-hmm. gone by lightning quick. And, of course, I've seen the network grow tremendously over that uh, point. Uh, I don't want to go too far down memory lane, but uh, maybe some of your listeners might remember uh, the news program was called Envision News. Uh, it was done once a week. In fact, uh, it got taped on a Friday and aired on a Sunday, so it wasn't even live television back then. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it change, and of course, we're at where we are now. It's on every night. There's a weekend uh, wrap-up, and we've got all these other shows, too, not only Nation to Nation, but there's In Focus, uh, there's Face to Face. So just the news department has grown tremendously, and I guess you have to ha- you have to thank John LaRose, mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned his name, uh, for doing that. And we've got a brand new uh, CEO coming in, Monica. I have to admit, I don't know much about her, her but I heard uh, uh, she's a great backer of the, of the news and uh, uh, 
does enjoy our programming. So I think the future is bright. There are challenges on the horizon, of course, because uh, people are cutting the cords and they get their news, they consume news in a completely different way, which is Mm -hmm. uh, usually through their cell phones now. So, you know, it's something that's still trying to figure out, I think, at this juncture. Uh, And it's funny, I, I didn't think at this point in my life I'd be thinking about you know, how to transform into a digital, a digital producer of news. But it's a challenge, but it's an exciting one. Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's great, you know, that uh, the success that APTN has had. And, uh, of course, it's, uh, you mentioned Jean LaRose, but it's, I think, everyone at APTN has had a hand in, in, the, in believing in, in the network, first of all, and making the success, success that it has had and, and breaking a lot of great stories over the years as well. Oh, that's true. <clears throat> Excuse me there. Um, yeah, and uh, you mentioned I'd been with Investigates. He broke a lot of big stories in Investigates. Um, uh, there was the one uh, with the Inuit elders that had to go to the garbage dump, for example, to mm. to uh, get food because they didn't have enough money. And, of course, that was a huge stink in Parliament. And mm. uh, it's probably a reason why Le- Leona Bluecock uh, didn't get re- re-elected uh in the following election, uh, was get her being caught reading a newspaper while this was all being debated in Parliament. But that's just one. I mean, oh, there's been so many over the years. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's a it's a list that's way too long. And and there's been a lot of successes. You know, there's been a lot of awards won. Uh, the Canadian Association of Journalists. Uh, uh, there's been. Uh, uh, Amnesty International or not, uh, or Human Rights uh, mm-hmm. Awards. It's just the the network has grown so much uh, since the, both you and me started out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not just the, the personnel, but uh, just the way things are produced. It's uh, it's just night and day from what it was twenty years ago. Yeah, absolutely. But congratulations to the network on moving forward. And of course, uh, we're part of the family now is at Element FM, which is great. That's right, and uh, I've met uh, a couple of uh, people, and uh, yeah, you've got a really good uh, staff there uh, here in Ottawa and there mm-hmm. in Toronto. So um, it's uh, you know, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen as we move more to a digital platform, but uh, there's certainly in the, we have about the people out there who are going to uh, help bring us, I guess, uh, kicking and screaming well into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, having said that, in the digital age, uh, and because people are getting news in different ways, and because of that onslaught of the Internet, uh, and, you know, and anything and everything gets uh, gets out there um, in social media, perhaps it's even more important that uh, there are networks like APTN to bring Indigenous news and, and focuses uh, in, in a, uh, a very real and very uh, focused way uh, in and professional way, of course, that uh, that get those stories out there uh, and not get lost in all that uh, that barrage of things that are that are coming our way in, uh, on the internet and social media. Uh, yes, because uh, there's uh, you know you type in a search word in YouTube and you'll get just a ton of stuff. So mm-hmm. it, it it can be difficult to to find something as you say that. Because uh, there is a difference between what we do and, I guess, uh, somebody who doesn't have the, uh, the training or backing or the some funding behind you can do, uh, you know, uh, there is a difference. Uh, uh, it, it just helps. It helps having a network backing, having your back, especially when you're going into a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. And 
have to look at what's happening in northern BC right now with yep. the uh, Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs as they struggle against uh, uh, possible RCMP raid at any minute and uh, not having their rights respected by the federal and provincial governments. Yeah, and along with that, there's uh, some challenges with reporters getting in there as well to cover those uh, that story. Is is there not? Uh, that's what I've heard. I, I don't know a lot because I'm not there. I'm here mm. kind of in the Ottawa bubble. Uh, it's a long ways away, but it's just a challenge getting there. Like, I know where it is, uh, and just to get there, uh, mm. if you're driving, just to drive there from Vancouver, for example, oh, it's got to be a, to, I'd say it's at least a 10-hour drive. Mm. So uh, if anything happens, getting somebody up there, and uh, and, and we're talking about it's not, you know, it's not next to a city. It's uh, it's on a, a service road, I guess, like a forestry road. Uh, so, you know, it's pretty isolated, and I give props to anybody who can get up there. I know AP10 uh, reporters just arrived up there, mm. um, so I'm expecting on our broadcast tonight to, to have something, because um, uh, the situation there is changing so quickly. Right. Uh, uh, who knows what's going to happen from hour to hour to hour, but it's great to, to AP10 has somebody up there. Absolutely. Well, listen, let's think, bring things back to the Ottawa area, because as you mentioned, that's where you're, uh, you're now hosting Nation to Nation out of. And uh, congratulations uh, once again on APTN in establishing that uh, and expanding the bureau there, because uh, it is not in the same place it was when I was working there, for sure. And, uh, and it's great that you have that uh, facility now to be able to do that. Um, now... Uh, Todd, you've been covering some of this stuff on the Hill. Uh, and, of course, uh, we have a new Indigenous uh, minister, Mark uh, Miller. Um, and uh, he's, you know, he's been in the news. And, of course, uh, Cindy Blackstock, I know you're very familiar with her. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, we all are. And what a, what a, what a, uh, a warrior she is for uh, kids uh, in, in the system. Um, now, she, uh, of course, uh, calls the government a repeat offender when it comes to uh, uh, how they have treated kids and, and not wanting to, uh, of course, uh, pay out the money that has been uh, 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 suggested that, that every, I think it's every child and every person that went through the system uh, get about $40,000 each. That's right, but it's not every child. There's a cutoff day and, uh, boy... I should know the year, but I don't. I believe it's 2006 or 2007. Now, and, and this is the rub of the whole thing. Uh, and um, yes, uh, the government uh, does not want to pay that out, pay out that, but they're going to have to, right? Because they lost the court case mm. and they're in negotiation right now. And the deadline is the end of this month. So uh, something's going to happen. Uh, they didn't want to do this because, uh, you know, that's kind of an arbitrary date, I suppose, for anybody who's been through the system. There's people going through the system since decades, right? Mm, mm-hmm. So the government wanted to, uh, and and they're doing a class, they're trying to get a class action suit going. So the government wanted to, I suppose, put it all into one pot and have one general settlement for everybody, um, kind of kind of like the day school survivors, for example. So they didn't do that. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and Mark Miller, you mentioned him. He's uh, the 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 head minister of this whole thing, what they're going to come up with. I mean, I, I heard that they're negotiating. They've got to. They've got to negotiate some way that they're going to pay this out to people who went through the system. And the deadline, the clock is ticking because the deadline is the end. I think it's the 27th of January. Right. 
Um, now, what is your sense uh, of of the new Minister of Indigenous Affairs, Mark uh, Miller? Uh, I know that uh, in when he was appointed, uh, there was some some stories around him. He's been trying to learn the language, I believe. He's been uh, taking up Mohawk. That's right, uh, and you can tell me better than me how good his Mohawk is. <laughs> Uh, and uh, he did that before he became a minister. And mm-hmm. I, he wasn't even a parliamentary secretary yet. I, I'm going to remind our list, your listeners that before he became Minister of Indigenous Services, he was parliamentary secretary for Crown Indigenous Relations, so he worked with Carolyn Bennett. Mm. And that's often why he was on Nation to Nation uh, through that role. And uh, you're right, but he did start learning Mohawk before that, and I know he explained it to me once that... Uh, uh, he did it because uh, he's bilingual, and he felt that uh, he should uh, be, you know, learn the language of the people who uh, whose territory I guess he has his constituency. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can tell me, uh, and you have to give him props. I know some people have been critical. Oh, years, you know, uh, you know, why is this guy bothering? He's not an indigenous. Um, you know. He's taken a bit of heat but on social media, but you have to give him prompts. It's a difficult language, from what I understand, to yep. learn. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was surprised when he was named uh, Indigenous Services Minister by the Prime Minister back uh, in November. Uh, he went out face reporters. He was asked a question, and the first 30 seconds of his answer was done in Mohawk. Completely mm-hmm. off the top of his head. Mm. He wasn't uh, uh, looking at a script or anything right. like that. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't come out of nowhere. Uh, he was, like I said, parliamentary secretary. He knows, in general, some of these issues. I don't think he knows how uh, widespread the issues he's dealing with are now and how deeply rooted the problems are. That's probably surprised him, uh, because Indigenous Service is the bread-and-butter ministry for Indigenous people. It deals with education, health, infrastructure. Those bread-and-butter issues, people are really concerned about and really affect them deeply on a day-to-day level. He's the point guy now. So uh, it's a difficult uh, ministry uh, department to to do. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, Jane Philpott was a popular Indigenous Services Minister. Everybody liked her. I mean, my goodness, as soon as she lost the election, uh, the Shaliaski Nation was calling her up hiring her to, yeah. to work with them, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, and you have Seamus O'Regan, who uh, probably wasn't a good choice for that. Uh, we all know what happened when uh, O'Regan went to Grassy Narrows, mm. supposedly to announce funding for a new Mercury treatment center, and all fell through. Uh, and uh, I think that really, really hurt him, and the, the whole department was that whole fiasco. Mm. Now we got Mark Miller. I think he's got good intentions. He seems genuine. Um, but, you know, the proof will be in the pudding when he finally goes, let's say, goes to Chief Rudy Turtle at Grassy Narrows and hands him a check and says, let's get this thing built and built right away. Mm-hmm. You know, until he does that, um, you know, it's it's hard to say. Um, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but I'll just say this. He seems genuine, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. And all, a lot of it will depend on uh, the next federal budget as well. Right, of course. Now, other things, of course, going on in the Ottawa area. You're all, you're covering the hill. You see what stuff's going on there. Bill C ninety two. What can you tell us about that? 
Uh, C-92, which is child welfare reform, uh, of course, uh, came into effect on January 1st, but the complaint was there was no funding for it. Uh, and a lot of provinces, a lot of stakeholders, people who work in child and family services, really don't know what it means. It was rolled out kind of hastily. There, were, I guess more education needs to be done, I don't know. Um, and it seems like it's it's there now, and... Uh, well, let's work out the details now. You'd think you'd mm-hmm. work out the details and then uh, do the legislation. But I know the government was back was up against the wall. They pushed this through at the very last minute, last session, because uh, they wanted it to be a law before the next federal election was called. Mm-hmm. Um, so the litmus test, I suppose, for this le- legislation, C-92, will be the, ne- the next federal budget. Mm-hmm. Will it get the statutory funding that the National Chief Perry Belgard has been asking for for months? Um, because if it doesn't, then it's got no teeth. Uh, it's basically lip service, this piece of legislation. And, uh, you know, you've got the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations in Saskatchewan. They came up with a, how much they think they need. $1.8 billion mm. is what they need to fully implement C-92. Well, uh, that's a lot of money, and that's just Saskatchewan. When you're talking about Manitoba, B.C., Ontario, um, it's probably more money than the federal uh, government's going to put in their budget for this. Mm. So um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what compromise, I suppose, there is between very little funding and billions and billions of dollars that are probably needed to really turn... Uh, this ship around um, where you've got tens of thousands of indigenous kids uh, who are in foster care or in uh, group homes or whatever, mm. and they shouldn't be there. They should be with their families, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Perry Belgard and the AFN. Uh, what's on the horizon with them? Is there anything that uh, that you can see in the future that they'll be dealing with or that we should be aware of? Well, the only thing, because um, uh, the election came and it ended a lot of stuff, like there's a lot of little uh, pieces of legislation that never got through, and it'll be interesting to see if, if they see the light of day mm. now. And I'm just going to give one example. Uh, uh, Georgina Jolly-Bois, the NDP MP from northern Saskatchewan, who lost her seat to a conservative, mm. uh, put through a private member's bill to have a national um, Indigenous People's Holiday. I don't know if you remember that, David. Yeah. Yeah, but it died, right? It died Mm. once the election was called. Will that be resurrected? Who knows? But I suppose the biggest piece of legislation that the government has promised is a government-sponsored UNDRIP bill. Uh, As you recall, Romeo Saganash had a private member's bill, C-262, which meant the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Uh, Canada has to... Uh, in all the legislation uh, going forward, uh, has to take and consider the principles of that. So, uh, will that uh, government-sponsored bill sail through Parliament? Of course, the Conservatives hate the bill. They think it gives um, Indigenous people a veto when it comes to uh, resource development, for example. Right. And it was Conservative senators uh, who uh, stonewalled the bill in, in the Senate, and that's why it died and didn't become law. So, I would say that's probably the biggest thing on the horizon is how quickly this will come up, how fast it will go through Parliament, because that bill was studied in committee to death. Uh, I don't know what new there could be. Uh, I know NDP MP Leah Gazin 
suggested, well, maybe uh, we can make this bill a little bit stronger. Uh, I don't know if you read C26. Pretty thin bill. It was only four or five pages long. So there has been talk that a government-sponsored bill will be more uh, longer, be uh, more comprehensive. Um, but will it have, take the same time to go through committee? Because uh, we've already had arguments for and against uh, that. C262 was studied quite a bit. Um, but I, I think that's the biggest. I, I um I can't think of something else that's uh, a similar piece of legislation that's coming from, uh, especially from a minority government, that's going to affect Indigenous peoples as much as that. Okay, great. Uh, Todd, listen, we're running out of time, but I'm just wondering, uh, what's coming up on Nation to Nation that you can uh, tell us about for our listeners and for people to watch out for on APTN? (laughs) Well, yeah, Uh, we usually fly by the seat of our pants, uh, (laughs) especially when Parliament isn't sitting, right? Right. Uh, It's tough. Uh, but Parliament's coming back at the end of January. It actually only sits for two weeks and then take a week off and then come back for a couple of weeks. Um, but so what I'm going to be looking for is uh, when we come back, they're going to be reconstituting committees. Uh, of course, there's a standing committee on Indigenous peoples in, in the House. And that's where, you know, a lot of debate or when, you know, legislation is tweaked or policy is looked at uh, that might turn into legislation. And a lot of people from all over Canada, Indigenous, uh, come in to Ottawa and testify there. Uh, I know the Conservatives, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot more people, it seems, in Parliament who are now going to be involved in Indigenous issues because uh, not only did uh, Indigenous affairs get split in Indigenous services and Crown Indigenous relations, there's now a separate department for Northern Affairs. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of Indigenous people in the North. So we got three shadow ministers from the Conservatives uh, and we got couple of new parliamentary secretaries for, uh, for like Pam Damoff for uh, Damoff from for Indigenous ser- Services. Uh, I know uh, from reporting past year, she's got a particular interest in the overrepresentation of Indigenous women in federal prisons. Um, so, and Yvonne Jones, she's uh, coming back as parliamentary secretary for Northern Affairs. So, and and let's not forget Jagmeet Singh, who pointed himself Indigenous affairs critic for the NDP. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting parliament, a minority parliament. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, there may not be as much legislation to talk about, but there's going to be a lot more people debating and discussing Indigenous issues in particular. And it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, if the Wet'suwet'en uh, conflict, and I'm sure it will still be going on, if that uh, gets any uh, traction in Parliament from various uh, member, from members of Parliament. Right. And let's not forget the Green Party, of course, yeah. thrown into the mix. Great. Well, thanks for that, uh, for, for, for telling us what's going to be, uh, you're going to be uh, looking at on your horizon and, uh, and, and uh, with Nation to Nation, Todd. And it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the show and share your thoughts and, uh, and ideas and uh, go down memory lane a, bit, a little bit with us here on yeah. the show. <laughs> and we look forward to having yeah, you no on. no problem, David. We look forward to having you on the show again. Well, yeah, maybe uh, hopefully I'll have something different to say then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, just so you know, that's uh, Todd Lamaranth. That's the voice you're listening to. He is the host and producer of Nation to Nation uh, on the Aboriginal People's Television Network. Uh, and uh, it's he's also a member of the Métis Nation. It's been a pleasure to have him on the show. So thanks again to Todd, Chimigwech. And uh, we're going to uh, take a break, but don't go away because we'll have more here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. <laughs> 